Good morning. If you are new, I just want to welcome you. Uh, my name is Daniel, and uh, just so glad to, to be here with you. Uh, we are starting a new series today. We finished up one uh, this past month. It's called Always God, Always Faithful. We're now going to move into a new series for the summer, and it's called Committed to Memory. We, we named it, this series, uh, this title, because uh, we wanted to, to focus on passages that would be great passages to memorize. Ones that, that for, for this uh, time during the summer where we can take uh, specific passages that would be really helpful for us to know as Christians. And so I want to encourage you and challenge you to, to memorize these passages each week. And so we're starting today with this passage in Ephesians 2, uh, and we're going to be going on and doing other ones uh, in different places in Scripture on different topics. Uh, and just want to encourage you to, to memorize these. Um, when I was in seminary, uh, one of the discussions that we would have often uh, in, in different classes and come out in one form or another, but people would sometimes ask the question, uh, and this is a very like seminary sort of question, uh, what is the biggest problem the church faces today? Like, what's the biggest issue in the church? This is kind of like one of those open-ended questions for anyone to kind of gripe about something they have, some issue that they have with the church. But this was a question that we, I remember having a handful of conversations with people about uh, at different points in, in seminary. And uh, it was interesting because a lot of times the, the response that I would hear uh, was one form or another of ultimately... The problem that the church faces today ultimately is immorality. That there's a bunch of people in the church that are just bad sinner people, like you're screwed up and you got issues and you don't take your faith seriously and uh, you're just mailing it in today. Um, and there were a lot of times where that was the response that, that people would, would say that this is what the issue is. We just have a bunch of people that are in the church. They're not really that serious about their faith. And really, they resemble a lot more of the world than what the church is supposed to look like. I was like, well, that's kind of, a, kind of a heavy thing to say. Um, and I think that when you start pressing that, that response and you start saying, well, tell me more about this, I think uh, if we're honest, what's behind that is ultimately that we would say, well, you know, I'm, I'm in seminary, so I'm not part of the problem. Um, <laughs> You know, I, I take my faith seriously, obviously, because I want to, I'm spending money to take classes and I'm, I'm, I'm in ministry. And so whatever, whatever the problem, wherever that line is for, for like, what is the immoral people who are part of the problem and the moral righteous people who are, are part of the solution, the person who's complaining is just above that threshold. Sure, there, there's other people that are above them, but... The majority of people, they're, they're below that line. And so the problem is other people just don't measure up to what I consider righteous. And so the problem, with, the problem here is it's, it's that when I look at other people, I don't see people embracing my view and my rule of what righteousness is. And sometimes this is what a lot of people will say is the problem in the church today. I, I disagree with that assessment. 
I don't think that we have necessarily have a problem with immorality in the, in the church. Certainly, we, we all have sins, we all struggle, and there's certainly immorality in our church. Uh, the problem, I think, isn't necessarily a sin problem. I think if, if we look deep in our core, we have a, a very foundational mistrust of God's grace. I think that's the problem with, with church. I think that's the problem that we have as Christians is that we look at God and we say, I can't really believe that you say all of these promises that the cross represents are true. I struggle with really believing that the cross is sufficient to make me right with God. Another way of saying this, I don't really know if God actually likes me as much as he says he does. And so what I need to do is I need to define some sort of term, some sort of metric for what righteousness is, and then if I do enough of that, then I become palatable to God. I think, I think that's a lot more of what the problem is and what, what we struggle with as, as Christians. I think we struggle with saying, I don't know that, the, that grace is sufficient. And so I think we find ways to compensate for this. I think we find ways to hide from God because of this. And I think that there's different ways that we, we end up expressing our mistrust of God's grace towards us. And so this passage that we're talking about today in Ephesians 2, this is a passage both for someone who is outside of the church and, and looking at the Christian faith and considering placing their trust in the gospel, but it's also just as much for those of us who have been Christians for decades and saying, I still, we are still called to live by grace and by faith. And so we're talking about this passage today in Ephesians 2. And so we're going to start off by, I want to talk a little bit about what is a barrier that we have uh, that separates us or prevents us from experiencing God's grace. What I often see uh, and how I think the Bible describes this is ultimately what the barrier that keeps us from really experiencing and embracing God's grace is self-sufficiency. Let me, let me read uh, from our passage again and uh, that Diane read. And I'm going to read, I'm going to jump in on partway through our passage and read just kind of a sentence. Here it's talking about salvation. And in verse 9, it says that salvation is not by works so that no one can boast. See, I am not sufficient to earn my salvation I am not sufficient to reconcile myself to God. In other words, I am not sufficient to make God like me or to please him. If my sole goal in life is to get God to like me, I'm going to fail miserably at it. It doesn't matter how many good things I do and how much bad stuff I eliminate, ultimately I'm going to fail. As we start looking at the commands that Scripture has, and if I say, these are the things that I need to do to please God, it's a pretty high bar, and it's a high bar that I'm never going to reach. 
And ultimately, if I ever could reach it, I would just meet it, and then immediately the next day, I would be at risk at falling below that line again. And so I would, in best case scenario, I would have this insecurity of maybe meeting the standard and then the next day falling below it and doing this over and over. And I just, there is an incredible amount of pressure and stress, and I just, I can't help but wonder, like, this is why... Sometimes as Christians, we have an experience of where our faith seems like a burden. And so when we relate to God thinking that it is by my works that I'm reconciled to God, it's by my works that that I experience God's grace, what ends up happening is we sin, we confess. So we say, okay, I'm going to try harder this next time. And then we sin again. And so we confess, and then we develop some kind of strategy to get rid of our sin. We do a little bit better for a while, and then we sin again. We confess. We hide. We find some way to, to compensate for our sin so we don't have to look at it. We sin again. We confess. Then we get discouraged. We self-loathe. We, we get demoralized in our faith, and this is just an endless cycle that goes on and on and on. And... We are relating to God, thinking that if we eliminate all of our sin, then we'll stand before God justified, and that God will approve of us. This is not how we are called to relate to God. And Ephesians 2 says, this doesn't get us anywhere. That we can't just keep trying to fix and manage our sin and hope to make any progress. You know, if you know very much about uh, addiction recovery, you know, the very first thing that we, they always say, the very first step is, you know, my name is Daniel, I'm an addict, right? We always, we always hear this. And the, the significance to this step is not just kind of some random thing to, to memorize and repeat and have this kind of rote conversation, but it's to say, I'm an addict. Like, I have issues, and I can't fix them. Like, that's, that's what addiction is. Like, I am powerless over my addictions, and I cannot manage this. I cannot fix this on my own. I am not sufficient to find a solution for this. Like, I've tried, I've worked hard, I've tried all of these different strategies and approaches, and I still haven't been able to fix this, and so that's why I'm here in this group. Like, this is, that's, this is addiction recovery, and if we're honest, we all are functionally addicts. To some sin or another, all of us have a sin that we cannot manage and we do not have control over. And some of us, we, and I should say all of us, we live in, in a sense of denial with some of our sins that, well, if I just do it this way, if, if, I, if I put an internet filter on my computer, then that'll fix that problem. If I go jogging at these times, then that'll deal with this issue. If I do this with my budget, if I do X, Y, and Z, these different strategies, that'll fix my problem. The sin won't be an issue anymore, and then I'll be okay before God. And that ends up being in denial of what, what this is saying. 
that ultimately we cannot fix our problems. We are not sufficient to meet these, to, to cause this change. You know, this, this verse also speaks of boasting. And boasting is inherently communal. You know, you, we boast to each other like it happens with other people. And boasting in, when we boast of our works, the, the tragedy of this is that it ultimately suffocates any grace that can be had in community. Like, if I'm convinced that my spirituality is related to my ability to not sin and to do more good things, then any time I speak of any struggle or weakness I have, that's a sign that I'm not really that bought into my faith and I'm not really that mature. And so I need to hide those things and I need to talk about the good things that I do do. And we can do this with each other and we can say, it's not really a good idea for me to talk about my struggles and what, what weaknesses I have. And instead, I need to convince other people that I really am so bought into my faith. So that way I have standing and status with, with my group. And so we can't talk about inadequacy. We have to convince each other and convince ourselves that we're sufficient. That we can manage our sins, everything's under control, because we are uh, sold out, bought out Christians, on fire for God, and this is what we're supposed to do. This is what maturity looks like. In Luke 18, uh, Jesus talks about this. He gives this analogy of a tax collector and a Pharisee that go to the temple to, to pray and confess. The, the Pharisee, he looks at the tax collector and he says, he, he prays to God and he says, God, I keep the law. I do all the things that I'm supposed to do and I follow those things to the T. And thank goodness I'm not like that guy, that tax collector. And then the tax collector, you hear his prayer, and the tax collector says, he won't even look at heaven, and he says, have mercy on me, I am a sinner. Which one shows self-sufficiency? And, and, this ta and Jesus' point is, it's the tax collector that goes home justified before God. The Pharisee is still convinced that he can manage his issues, that he has it under control, he doesn't need help. He's got it. And so you can't receive grace if you don't need it. When we get to the place where we finally know we need grace, it can still be hard to let it in. We're going to go back to now to, to verse 8 in our, in our passage. This is Ephesians 2.8. It says, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God. God says, Reconciliation with him, standing with him, it is completely by his grace. This means this is God's desire. Like, God desires a relationship with you. God wants reconciliation with you. He is moving towards you. So when we think like, oh, I'm in sin, I'm running from God, I need to go back to God, 
God's, God's chasing after you. It's not like God's standing stagnant and we just run off from God and now there's all this, this big gap from him. God is still pursues us. He still chases after us. Our struggle is whether we're willing to let him bring reconciliation. So our role is not to clean ourselves up. Instead, our role is to let God clean us up. And this is, this is a big difference. This is saying that I am not sufficient to clean myself up, but I have to take down my wall of self-sufficiency and I have to give access to God to clean me up. See, I think this is why, why the sin of pride is so dangerous for us. Because pride ultimately just creates this protective barrier over our sin that keeps grace away so that our, our sin can still fester and still grow and thrive. I think this is what ultimately keeps us far and keeps us far from experiencing grace is thinking that we don't actually need it so I don't have to let it touch me and I don't have to let it change me because I can handle this myself. See, I think practically what this looks like, it means not hiding from God. A good, a good illustration of, of what this can look like when right after you sin, like think, imagine something that you do regularly that you are ashamed of. Like I'm not, not, just, not, not just the little thing where you snap at someone and you say, oh, I shouldn't have done that. Like those, those habitual sins that we all have that we are ashamed of and we want to hide. And what do we do right after that happens? This, this tells us a lot about how we understand God's grace towards us. If, if our tendency is after that hides, after we feel that sense of shame, then to find something to compensate for it, to find some way to hide it, to find some way to minimize it, to find some way to do something that makes up for it, that tells us that how we're actually understanding our relationship with God is still based on works. But instead, it's when we say, I did something and I feel deeply ashamed and I'm looking at myself thinking, how could I have done this again and then we're willing to run to God with that in the midst of our shame and say, this, this is me. I can't fix this. God, change me. And I think inevitably what this leads to and part of, the, part of what happens with this is that I think God is going to call you to share this with some safe people. I think he's going to say, you need to let some people in on this process. Let people walk with you. Let people love you and support you and experience grace from them. Because when you experience grace, it changes you. Grace is not just absolving us and getting rid of the consequences, but there is fundamental change that happens when we experience God's grace. When we think, man, I am an awful person. I just did these things. And then when you experience love in the midst of that, that is deeply transformational. 
And this is what the gospel is saying. And so our, our goal and life as Christians is not just about minimizing sin and then thinking, now I'll be closer to God if I have less sin. It's instead, it's ex- about experiencing God's grace. This is something that's happened throughout history, and we have struggled as, as the Christian church as a whole with embracing this. Even in, in Galatians, Paul writes about this to, to the Galatians, who, who they experience the gospel, but then they cu- keep coming back to thinking, I don't know that it's really enough. Maybe I need to add a little bit more here. In Galatians 3.3, 3, Paul rebukes them. He says, are you so foolish? After beginning by means of the Spirit, talking about uh, their relationship with God by, by embracing the gospel of grace, but now turning back to their own means. He says, are you now trying to finish by means of the flesh? Like he's saying, as Christians, we can start off by, okay, I'm a sinner, I need to embrace the gospel, now I have a relationship with God, and I can, I can go from there. And he says, no, wait, you can still keep falling back, and you still keep having a tendency to going back to relying on our flesh. We have a tendency to keep going back and saying, I, I, think, I think I got a hold of this. I think my sin's are under control now, and now I can... Now I have this under control and I can deal with it. I only need a little bit of God's grace because the rest of this I can, I can handle. And so we end up keeping God distant because we think we can work on our sin. We can do this. So God isn't distant when we have sin. He becomes, we become distant from him when we're convinced that we don't need his grace because we're sufficient. We can oppose, we don't have to be, embrace humility. Instead, we can handle this and so we don't experience his grace. Grace requires humility from us. You know, I think a tragedy with the life of self-sufficiency ultimately is how small that life is, like how, how shallow it is. If the self-sufficient life ultimately is saying that I, my Christian life is defined by my ability to manage and sin as little as, as possible and do as many good things as possible, it's isolated and ultimately, our, our goal is just to be on steady footing with God. This passage tells us there's much more of a purpose to our life than this. In verse, in verse 10, this is, what, this is the purpose that, that grace gives us. It says, for we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. God didn't justify us and bring us into a relationship with him just to to wipe out or reduce as much sin in the world as possible. He says there's actually a purpose that he has in mind for you. 
There's, there's a reason for all this, that he has a purpose and he has good deeds planned in advance for you. That there's a destiny that you have that he has prepared specifically for you, that he's given you gifts and he's prepared you for. This is something that, that we don't get to experience when we think the whole purpose of my life as a Christian is just to get on a right standing before God. We don't have time or room or energy to think about these things. But God says, I have a purpose and a plan for you. I want to free you and give you a relationship with me so that you can go out and experience and do these fantastic things. That this is, what, this is the plan for you. Some of you might have heard um, about the story of Elizabeth Elliot. Um, Elizabeth Elliot was married to, to Jim Elliot. Jim Elliot uh, was a missionary to um, this isolated tribe in, in uh, Ecuador. Uh, he was looking to make contact with this tribe that had never heard the gospel, had no um, outside influence to, and in the process of trying to make a connection with them, um, for different circumstances happened, and uh, this tribe ultimately they killed Jim Elliot in in this, and a lot of misunderstanding happened. It was a really tragic and horrific thing that ha that happened. Elizabeth Elliot wasn't a part of of that uh, uh, specific uh, journey of of trying to to make contact with them, but she hears about this. And part of the, the amazing thing about her story is that uh, later in life, she ends up becoming a missionary herself to that same people group. And she has an effective and successful ministry to, the, to this tribe. It's, it's, one of the, it's a, an incredible story. And um, people would ask her after this, like, how, how were you able to do this? Like they killed your, the same people that killed your husband, you went completely out of your way and faced the fear of what's going to happen to her herself, and she still goes and ministers to these people and shows compassion to them. And her response was not, you know, I'm sold out for my faith, I'm, you know, I'm on fire for Jesus, I realize I got to buckle down and get, be serious and bought in. She doesn't, she doesn't say that. What, this is what she says. She says, the secret is Christ in me, not me in a different set of circumstances. Let me, let me say that again. The secret is Christ in me, not me in a different set of circumstances. She says, it, it wouldn't be easier to go and minister to these people if just my circumstances were different. Like, if they didn't do this, if they hadn't killed my husband, or, you know, if I was just single instead, and so I didn't have to experience this loss, or if uh, just my circumstances were different where it would, they were a lot more convenient, or other people had gone there first, or all these other things. She said, that wouldn't have made it easier to go out and live this life and minister to them and live out my calling. She says, the difference is that Christ is in me. He is already in me. He's already with me. 
I already stand before him justified. I already have his favor, and so I can trust that he will give me everything that I need to live out this calling that he has put on my life. That I don't have to, to stamp out some, some different sins and then God will really bless me and, and unleash me and use me for his purposes. He's already in me right now. And so I don't have to do X, Y, and Z. I don't have to change my circumstances. He's, he's here now. I can let him use me. I can let him help me. And I imagine for her to do that, she had to do some really serious work. For her to somehow be able to forgive these people, for her to somehow be able to overcome the fear of facing these people, for all of the barriers that it takes to go into missions, and especially in missions in a setting like that, for her to do all of these things there had to have been, God had to have been deep at work in her heart and in the community around her to help her get to a place where, where she could do this. But it wasn't her saying, I can do this. I can just, if I just have different circumstances, if I just use the things that are under my control, then I'll be able to go out and do this and be effective. That's not what she says. She says that Christ is in me already. And so I can do this. Going back to Galatians, this time in chapter 2, Paul writes, The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God. And this is, this is so cool. He says, The God who loved me and gave himself for me. That this is the God that we follow. This is the God that who who has brought us into a right relationship. Not a God that we, we can put ourselves in a right relationship with, not a God that we are sufficient to do that, but a God that we can let him bring us into a right relationship. And so God restores us through grace, but it's also by his grace that we have a, a destiny and that we have a purpose. I come back to that, that original question of what is the problem for the church today? What is our big issue? We, we have sin. But the way we go about and getting rid of that sin and the way we handle it makes a big difference. And it's not about us, by our own sufficiency and our own power, getting rid of our sin. It's us turning to God and saying, God, I need you. I need you to fix, my, fix me and fix my sin. And when we are willing to be humble and let God move towards us and be willing to receive him, we experience his grace and he says, there is a fantastic and amazing life that he has for you. There is a purpose that he has specific to you that you can experience. And your story probably isn't like Elizabeth Elliot's, but it's still something that he is, he is tailor-made for you and what he has in mind for you and how he has equipped you. And he will make sure that you have everything you need to live out that life.